chapter 7. I know it's kind of an odd place to turn. We don't usually use the book of Deuteronomy too often, uh, but there's a great verse here that I want to look at, and um, this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is, God is giving the command to Israel to go and, and conquer Canaan. Canaan was the promised land. That was the land that God said that they were going to have, and now they were, now they were there. And it started with Jericho, and then, of course, uh, the defeat at Ai, and uh, figuring all that out, and they're sitting in the camp, and they got that out, and they defeated Ai, and now they're moving into the promised land that God gave them. And God made a lot of promises to them. Basically, if you continue to serve me, I'll continue to bless you, I'll continue to help you, I'll continue to, uh, to, to move you forward into that promised land. And he also gave them some warnings. If you stop serving me, I'm going to stop blessing you. I'm going to stop helping you. Uh, it was contingent on that one thing. But I, and I just want to pull out one verse and, and uh, use this as a starting off point this morning. Because the Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 9. And this is after, after he gives them all these promises. He says, Know therefore, verse number 9, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. As we close out another Thanksgiving, we, we, we look back on the things that we're thankful for, right, and, and uh, things that we've been blessed with in this year. And a lot of times we focus on material things. Sometimes we focus on our health or whatever else, and those are good things. Obviously, uh, it, the time of Thanksgiving is, is uh, kind of a, nationally, uh, a, a time of national reflection, if you will, but we're commanded all the way throughout the Bible to give thanks, so I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but this morning I want you to think about something that we often take for granted that we get from God, and that is his faithfulness. Faithfulness in our society today is practically a, a forgotten attribute. We, un, we see unfaithfulness in every aspect of our society. You see unfaithfulness to, uh, to the employer. Uh, you see the way that people have with their work habits and the way that they, you know, they show up or don't show up at work or starting on time and, 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 and people are just, it used to be that, you know, and, and I'm not saying there's a huge percentage of the workforce that still does do that, but it's, it's getting more and more prevalent in our workforce today that people are just unfaithful in their work. They're unfaithful to their husbands. They're unfaithful to their wives. We see it happen so often in society to the point where you know, it's not even a scandal anymore when you hear about something like that happen. It's just normal daily life for a lot of people. It shouldn't be that way, but that unfaithfulness is just so prevalent in our society. We see unfaithfulness through the society, right? People are stealing and robbing and taking advantage of people every time you turn around. And, 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 and you know, if you can get away with it, then, then you're good, right? That's, I mean, you see this happening now especially. People just walk into a store, pick something up off the shelf, and walk right out. And they know they're not going to do anything about it because it happens so much. I mean, companies write off billions of dollars every single year uh, in, in uh, merchandise that they know is going to be stolen from their store. Billions of dollars. And it's, un it's unbelievable to me. I actually, um, I, I, I'm in, in and out of Lowe's all the time. Probably two or three times a week I'm in and out of Lowe's. But I went to pick up some wood the other day. And uh, I bought, I had a bunch of different stuff. But in, in, in the mix of everything that I had, I, I bought uh, five one-by-fours uh, pieces of wood. And I, I, you know, the guy was scanning me out. I think it was a lady that was actually scanning me out. And I said, oh, I got six of those, five of those, you know, seven of those, whatever. And I got out there, and I started putting all this wood in the back of my trailer. And I realized that I actually had six pieces of one-by-fours, and I had told the lady that I had five. I don't know how a sixth one got in there. I, I mean, I didn't remember putting it in there, but I had six of them on there. And I said, you know what? The right thing to do is to go back in the store, 
tell the guy that I had an extra piece of wood and pay for it. So I pulled the little tab off of it, and I walked back in there, and I went up to the customer service, and I said, you know, I, I got back out here. I said, I told the lady that I had five. I actually had six. I, I don't remember. I don't know how I got six. I must have grabbed an extra one, and, and he looked at me like, he, like, like, I, like I had three heads. He couldn't believe that I was actually back in the store to tell him that I was there to pay for one piece of wood. And he didn't know what to do, so he just stuck his hand out there and shook my hand, you know? Just because people don't do that anymore, because it's, it's just expected that if you can get away with it, then you can get away with it. It's not right, but it's, it's unfaithfulness to that society. But often we see that unfaithfulness to God as well. And faithfulness, honestly, it seems to only exist where it's going to benefit the person who is, who is the one that's being faithful. And there was a time when, when faithfulness was expected out of every citizen. You were expected to go to church on Sunday. You were expected to show up on time for work. You were expected to, to do the right thing when it came down to where you had a choice or not. But now unfaithfulness is the norm. We see the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is filled with verses that talk about the faithfulness of God. The word used is almost the exact same, it's used almost the exact same way in every single usage. But the definition in Strong's concordance of the word that we see for faithfulness in the Bible means trustworthy, trustful, faithful, sure, true. We can easily determine one fact about God. He is trustworthy, he is trustful, he is faithful, he is sure, and he is true. And this morning, I want to examine further this, this wonderful attribute of God, his faithfulness. I want to give you a greater appreciation, if I can, this morning for something that, that he does and is to us every single day. The title of the message is very simple this morning, The Faithful God. The Faithful God. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few things about his faithfulness this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here. Pray that it would be a help to us this morning. I pray that you'd help us as we look at this attribute of God's faithfulness, that it would give, a, give us a greater appreciation for the faithfulness of God, give us a, a greater appreciation for faithfulness in our own lives. And God, I pray that you'd help us to, to, to get something from the message this morning, to get what you want for us to get from the message this morning. Well, thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. You don't need to keep your finger there in Deuteronomy. We're not coming back to it necessarily. But in Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to see this first of all. Number one, he is faithful to save. The faithfulness of God. Number one, he is faithful to save. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23 says this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I love that phrase, the profession of our faith. It means to acknowledge faith in Jesus Christ. The only action that has to be taken by a sinner is to place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. That, that faith includes that repentance towards God and the acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was offered on the cross. We require people to make a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ before we baptize them, so we baptize them upon their profession of faith. When we have a baptismal service, that's one of the things. Upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's where that phrase comes from, the profession of our faith. The words hold fast. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And that verse has nothing to do with the believer holding on to something. Otherwise, you know, like we, like we can lose our salvation. Nowhere is that concept even hinted at in the word of God. Hold fast means to keep in our memory. Remember, keep that in your memory, that profession of faith. Don't forget, retain that. 
I've heard people making reference to another person being saved and not even knowing it. That person is saved. He doesn't know he's saved, but he's saved. No, you cannot be saved and not know it. If you're saved, you know you're saved. Nobody can be born again and not know that they've been born again. The same way that somebody can, there's no possible way for you to be born in the flesh and not realize that you're alive, right? Uh, you know it. If you're born, you know that you're born. If you're born again, you know that you're born again. And that's why people struggle with this, with this decision. Well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Well, if you're saved, you'll know you're saved. Jesus Christ changes your life. It, it changes who you are. It gives you a new direction. It, he gives you a, new, a, a completely new life. But salvation, the Bible says, is available to everyone. John chapter 6 and verse 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. How does a person come to Christ? A moment ago I said repentance toward God and the acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was offered on the cross of Calvary. Only through that approach is salvation available to you or to me or to anyone else. We cannot come in any other way. There's nothing that we can do. There's no way that we can earn it. There's no way that we can ever do enough. To approach him in any other fashion is to bypass him completely. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That burden that you're carrying, that burden of sin, that weight of sin that's on your back, come before the cross, kneel at the cross, and nail that thing to the cross. That's how you get forgiveness of your sin. You ever get tired of running from God? Why not stop running and come to him? Turn around, repent, go to him. He'll save you. He's faithful in that which he has promised. You don't need to make salvation complicated. It doesn't need to be so distant. It's not some, uh, it's, it's not some long, drawn-out process. Salvation is an instant decision. It's at the door of your heart. Just reach out and accept it. And I'll guarantee you, as the Bible says, Jesus Christ is faithful to save. He'll save all of those that call upon him. Very clearly, he says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's faithfulness on God's part. Nobody has ever called upon the name of the Lord and God said no. Or nobody ever called upon the name of the Lord and he didn't answer. Nobody ever called upon the name of the Lord and he said, well, not for you, for everybody else. He's not, he'll never say no to you either. If you're already saved, then thank him for his faithfulness to keep you saved. If you're not, today is the day for you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's faithful to save, but turn also to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 He's faithful to save, but also he is faithful to sustain. And boy, this is one of the things that we often focus on around the Thanksgiving time. Oh, what God's done for us. And it's great to do that. I, I had you write out a list. And if you didn't, if you weren't here on Tuesday night for the pie and praise service because you were sick or out of town or whatever else, I've got a, I've got a bunch of sheets there in the back. What I am thankful for and why. And on Tuesday night, I had you write out three things that you're thankful for and why you're thankful for those things. But if you look at that piece of paper, there's actually 90 slots on that. Because I encouraged everybody, I challenged everybody to do that same thing for the next 30 days. You'll end up with 90 things that you're thankful for and why you're thankful for those things. And I mentioned on, on, uh, on Tuesday night that you're probably going to be writing down things that, you know, I'm thankful for the clouds, I'm thankful for the rain, I'm thankful for the, for the bricks and, the, you know, a lot of other different things that we could be thankful for that we often take for granted. But it's a mindset, it's a change in, in our mindset that we stop to actually think about what God's done for us. Stop to actually think about how he takes care of us and how he sustains us every single day. That breath that you just took came from God. He didn't have to give it to you, and he could stop it right now if he wanted to you. 
if he wanted to. Somebody said it this way. What if you woke up today with only the things that you thanked God for yesterday? How much would you have? Nothing? There's a lot of people that would end up with nothing if they had only the things that they thanked God for yesterday. What about the things that you thanked God for last week? How much would you have today if that's what you woke up with? Right? Uh, he's faithful to sustain. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 3, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. That, word, that, that phrase, the Lord is faithful. What did we say faithful meant? Trustworthy, trustful, sure, true. He will not fail you. He will always be there when you need him. Now, the bad thing is we only call on him when we need him, right? And, and so uh, imagine if that was somebody that, uh, that you were in some kind of relationship with, and you, you might have people that are in your life that are like that. The only time you ever hear from them is when they need something from you, and they call and they say, what do you want now, right? Because you know that's the only reason they're calling you. Well, uh, I was just going to see how you were, but also I wanted to check and see if you could, right? How many, how many times do we know people like that, yet we treat God the same way? Uh, God, uh, yeah, I was uh, just talking to you this morning. Oh, by the way, I need something from you, right? We, we do that to God always. But Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Make that part of your life. Make that as real as your address at home. He is faithful. The Lord is faithful, it says there in 2 Thessalonians 3, but it also says, who shall establish you? I want to look at that word for a minute. Establish means to set forth, uh, sorry, to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction, to confirm, establish, steadfastly set, strengthen. That definition is full of good stuff. That, that's talking about life after salvation. That is God doing what you cannot do. That's what makes life living as a Christian uh, and as a saint of God, so wonderful. doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. But when he says he will establish your hearts, that means that he is faithful to be there for you when you need him. He is your father if you know Jesus Christ as your savior. And a father does not forsake his children. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, he says to us. That, that word establish means to set fast. You ever seen a metal fence post uh, set in concrete? It doesn't move very easily, right? It's set fast. It's solid. It's unmovable. It's there to stay. That's what he says. He'll sustain you and that he will set you fast in his plan of redemption. You are established there. You are set fast. It cannot be moved. He saves you. That's it. That settles it. But it also means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. I wonder what direction that means. No doubt about it, he's talking about the direction of his word. He'll put you under the, the authority of the word of God, his written, faithful word of God. Remember our thought, he is faithful. He is faithful to sustain you. He's going to point you toward heaven, and then he's going to give you a shove in the right direction. I know a fellow, and not to make fun of him, but he was, he was not all there, but he always leaned forward when he walked, and it's almost like when he got going forward in one direction, it's, it's almost like he couldn't stop going in that direction because of how, how forward he leaned when he walked. And I'm not making fun of him, I'm using it as an illustration. That's almost the way that God does it with us. We're leaning forward, we're going forward for God, and we start leaning forward so much, we almost can't stop going in that direction. But that's what it means when he sets us steadfastly in a direction. It means also to confirm that word established means to confirm. It's not speaking about Catholic confirmation. This is God's confirmation. What is our thought? He's faithful to sustain. Confirm means to acknowledge with definite assurance, to make certain or definite, to confirm a reservation. I think, 
I think we can kind of liken it to the way that a, that a cattle rancher does uh, every day on his farm. Right? He goes out there to check on his, on his herds, and whether it's uh, sheep, many times it's cows, but you know, when they raise beef cattle, they go out every day in the pasture and they count those cattle just to make sure one of them hadn't strayed too far away. And especially on those giant ranches out west where there's, I mean, thousands and thousands of sprawling acres, you could have a, 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 one of those cows that gets quite a distance away or maybe it goes down into a gully and gets stuck. And so they go out there and they count their cattle and make sure of, of how many they have. And sometimes one of the cattle will be over in the corner of a pasture somehow away from the rest of the herd. They have to take a horse, or a lot of times now they take a four-wheeler or a tractor or something. They go round up that, that, that cow and they throw a rope around him and they, they nudge him back toward the herd. But if he, doesn't, if he doesn't want to be nudged back, then they'll drag him back if that's what they have to do. If she resisted, then that's what, they, that's what they have to do. And I believe that God confirms us in that same way every day. He makes a head count of his saints. He looks down and he says, they're all there. And you may see some, one that's off in a corner somewhere, kind of doing their own thing, and he goes out there and he throws that rope around us and he tries to drag us back toward, the, toward what he wants us to do and where he wants us to be and in fellowship with the other cattle, or the saints in this case. But he has to nudge us back into fellowship. And if we go peacefully, then all is well. We just, we'll get right back in there and everything goes on as normal. But sometimes when we resist and we push against that, sometimes God just has to drag us back to where he needs us to be. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not pleasant it's not enjoyable, but he said that he will sustain us. He will establish his saints. That word also means to strengthen. He's faithful to strengthen his saints. You can't make it in the Christian life on your own. On our own, we're weak. On our own, we're frail. We need help. Without his sustaining, we're going to fall by the wayside and not be faithful in the work that he set you to do. But the Lord is faithful, the Bible says, who shall establish you. And he says also, and keep you from evil. Turn over to Psalm 91. The Bible says he'll keep you from the evil one, the one who walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is not your friend. The devil is not some little character in a red suit with pointy horns poking out the top of his head with a pitchfork. That's not the devil. The devil, the Bible says, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour he wants to destroy your life. And the Bible says that God will keep you from evil. He'll keep you from the evil that the evil one will attempt to bring into your life. Psalm 91 verse 3 says, Surely he, will, he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Turn over to Psalm 124. Psalm 124 verse number 7. Our soul, he says, Psalm 124, verse 7, our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. Now, I want you to turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 talks about tithing. And often we focus on that verse number 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. And that's great. But I like the promise that comes after that. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 11 says this, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, you hear all the time, you give to God, God's going to bless you. And the Bible says that. God loves the cheerful giver. Give unto him and he'll give you overflowing and all of those other things. Now, we don't give just to get. We give because we're commanded to. But God promises that he's going to bless those who give to him and give to his work. 
But the thing is, a lot of times, you know, you hear this prosperity gospel. Well, you give to God and you give, give me all your money and God's going to bless you with more wealth than you can even handle. And it doesn't, the Bible, that's not found in the Bible. We don't see that in the word of God. It doesn't mean that God won't give you money, but a lot of times God does things for us on the backside that we don't even see that are blessings, right? He'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. When's the last time you saw Satan come and attack you? You might have felt it, but you can't see that, that war that's going on, right? The, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. A lot of those things we can't see. We don't see that battle going on, but God does. And, and look at, look, look at the, the example of Job, right? Satan came to God and said, let me go and attack Job. Job didn't know anything about that. God gave the devil permission to attack him. We just sang about that, right? His, his children were dead. His, 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 his cattle and, his, and everything that he owned was destroyed. His house was gone. Everything was gone, right? But the Bible says, and, he will re, and I, talking about God, will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That's what he says. That's what he means when he says, and keep you from evil. He will establish, the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He is faithful to sustain. He's faithful to save, as we said in number one, faithful to sustain. But number three, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because we find out that also he is faithful to deliver. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what a great verse. And I know we, I think we've even memorized this together as a church before. I know that, that uh, many of you have memorized this growing up if you've been in church for any length of time, but he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. He'll deliver in the time of temptation. Well, this temptation's so strong, I can't handle it. No, the Bible says that he's not going to give you a temptation that's stronger than you can handle. And when people use that all the time, God's not going to give you something stronger than you can handle. No, he, he won't. He won't. But we have to rely on him. And it's not, all, it's not all about us. It's all about him. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Temptation is permitted to prove how much you love God. Why does God allow us to go through those difficult times? Well, temptation is God allowing that thing or that object or that person sometimes that you love to allow you to prove whether or not you love God the way that you should. God will help you to prove your love for him. He says he'll, he, will not be suffer, he will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. You prove your love for him by getting victory over that temptation. But God will deliver you from that temptation if you will allow him to. What a great concept, Right? God says, prove that you love me by, by, by not giving in to this temptation, but I'm going to help you prove that you love me by helping you get through the temptation. Well, I mean, God, God blesses us when we say no to those temptations, but then he'll help us through the temptation. I mean, what a plan that God has laid out for us. He's faithful to deliver us in time of temptation. He'll make a way of escape. There's always somewhere you can run. When temptation begins to overtake you, there will always be an avenue of escape. Now, many times we don't take it. Many times we run right past that exit. 
Because we, we're heading, we're, we're charging headlong into that temptation, and that temptation comes up, and we don't even try to resist it. Maybe it's some anger issue, or, uh, or who knows what. There's all kinds of issues that we face that, that are temptations in our life, and many times we don't want that escape. That's why we miss it. But if you want it, and you're looking for it, and you don't want to displease your Savior, and you want help out of those things, that's what it means by God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. He will deliver you from, them temp- from that temptation if you'll turn to him. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He'll deliver you in the time of temptation, but he'll also deliver you in the time of trouble. Whatever that trouble is, he'll deliver you out of it. He may not deliver you at the very moment that you think you should or that you think he should. Somebody said it this way, God may be slow, but he's always on time, right? He may not do it in the timing that you think he needed to do it in, but he'll do it in his timing, and his timing is best. He may not deliver you at the very moment you think he should, but don't forget, he's the one who's doing the delivering. He knows when to deliver. He'll deliver in a time of fear. He'll deliver in a time of temptation. He'll deliver in a time of trouble. He'll deliver in a time of fear. What does the Bible say? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Right? There's a lot of times that we're, that we're afraid. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, there's a storm outside. We use that for the kids, and I think that's great. You know, I'm scared. Hey, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. What a great verse to, to constantly be reminding yourself. But the adult fears are a lot bigger than, than the kids' fears, right? I'm not worried about something in the closet. I'm not worried about something under the bed anymore. There's a lot of things that, that worry me. There's a lot of things that are fears that we face. And, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. What time I'm afraid. I will trust in thee. And it may not be that, you know, you got this look on your face of fright or you look like you saw a ghost or you're shaking or any of those kind of things. But if we're honest, there are things that we're afraid of. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. He'll deliver us in the time of need. We're, we're, we're talking about a God who knows everything. We're talking about a God who can do everything and anything. We're talking about a God who knows your every need. And not only does he know your every need, he knows your every want. God doesn't always give us all the things we want, but he gives us everything we need, right? David said, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God's going to take care of us. God is going to help us. He's faithful and he will deliver. He's faithful to save. He's faithful to sustain. He's faithful to deliver. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Because I want you to see this in number four. He is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23 says this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. There's so much that we could go on here in the matter of of his promises. I have a book at home. I don't know. It's probably about 250 pages written by Herbert Lockyer called All the Promises in the Bible. And it just lists one verse after another of all the promises in the Bible. If it's a promise, God will keep his promises. He promises his love. He promises eternal life. He promises protection. He promises food and clothing and shelter. He promises us a home in heaven. He promises us salvation. He promises us that he'll meet all of our needs. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Bible. And God is faithful, as he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He is faithful that promised. That means there's not one promise that's going to go unfulfilled. There's not one thing that he said he was going to do that he will not do. It may not have happened yet. It may not happen when we want him to. It may not happen in our timing, but he is faithful 
that promised. And I want you to look at this one lastly and turn over to 1 John chapter 1. He's faithful to save. He's faithful to sustain. He's faithful to deliver. He's faithful to his promises. And lastly, I want you to see this. He is faithful to forgive. He's faithful to forgive. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, we use often when we're sharing the message of the gospel to, with someone, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the book of 1 John was written to those who are already saved. That means that there are going to be times in our lives when we have sin that needs to be confessed. If any scripture could stand out more than the others, I think it would have to be this one. If it wasn't for this one verse, the saints of God could never be victorious. If we could never get our sins forgiven after we came to Jesus Christ on the cross uh, uh, for salvation, and we could never have forgiveness after that, how could we ever live in victory in our Christian lives? There's a, this is a reassuring verse. We will sin. Once you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are never going to be perfect. Now, we ought to be trying. The Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. God is absolutely holy, so our job then is to try to be holy the way that he is, which is absolute perfection. But we're humans. We still face the old flesh. We're going to fight against those things, and we will never be perfect until we get to heaven. But thank God for this verse. We're going to sin. We still have that, Christ, that sin nature, but we also have a divine nature if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. An unsaved person has only the sin nature, but there is forgiveness to a sinning Christian. What if, what if we had to live life without sin following salvation? Suppose that after, after salvation, there, you know, there was no way of removing sin. Nobody would make it to heaven. And then all the promises that God gives us about the fact that he gives to us eternal life. How can it be eternal life if you can lose it? It's not eternal life. It's short-term life, right? He didn't give me short-term life when I got saved. He gave me eternal life. If I could lose it, it's not eternal. He gave me eternal life. No one would make it to heaven if he didn't give us that. But there's not a saint alive who has never sinned since being saved unless you got saved on your deathbed. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit whispered into the heart of the Apostle John and said, write this down. And then he gave him the verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever sin it is, if you confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins. I don't have to go to some priest. I don't have to go to some man. I can't forgive your sins, but God can. And he is faithful and he is just and he'll forgive your sins. There's no sin too big. There's no sin too awful. There's no sin too ungodly that he will not forgive. Notice the remainder of that verse. He says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just forgive of that one sin, but he cleanses us of all of our sins. What does it say? He is faithful. He'll forgive every time. Not one time can you go to God and say, God, please forgive me for that. And he said, let me think about that for a few minutes. I don't know. That one's pretty bad. Actually, it's been a while since you've been here, and there's a whole lot of sins that you piled up. It, it might take me a little while to get over some of those. Right? He doesn't say that, does he? He says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I do the same sin the next day, he's going to forgive me. Every time I confess... He'll forgive. I cannot confess the same sin twice. Now, I might do the same thing a second time, and I have to get confession. I have to go confess to him those sins again and get forgiveness of those sins again, but I can never confess the same sin twice. He forgives me. Only one condition is required. You have to confess. 
you have to confess? What sins do you need to confess? And you might say, well, none. I doubt that. I doubt that. None of us are sinless. Come and confess your sins to a forgiving God. Let me tell you a story and we'll be done. A guy by the name of Roger Sims, true story, hitchhiking on his way home. He had just gotten out of the military and he would never forget the date. It was May 7th and he had a heavy suitcase and he was walking along the side of the road and of course, this was kind of back in the day when hitchhiking was a lot more popular than it is today. People used to hitchhike all over the country. But he was anxious to take off his army uniform for the last time, and he, was, he wanted to get home. And so he was flashing the thumb out there as he was walking down the road with this heavy suitcase, and it wasn't really having uh, cars just flying by him. And he lost hope, but finally this brand-new Cadillac pulled up next to him. And he, it was, I mean, it was brand-new. You could tell that it was, I mean, it had just been cleaned, and the passenger door opened, and he ran to the car, he tossed his suitcase in the back, and he jumped in the front seat, and there was this handsome, well-dressed gentleman that was driving the car, and he slid into the front of his seat, and he said, he was, obviously he was in his uniform, and so they, they, the, the uh, driver knew that he was coming out of the military. He said, you going home for good? He said, yes, sir, I sure am. And he said, uh, well, you're in luck, I'm headed to Chicago. And he said, well, I'm not going quite that far, but I am going that direction, so if you wouldn't mind driving me a little bit farther, that'd be, that'd be great. And so they drove for a few hours, and this man... Uh, began talking and told him that he had a business there in Chicago. He said, my name is Hanover. And they got to talking, and uh, they talked about a lot of different things. Roger Sims, this, this guy that had just gone out of the military, was a Christian, and so he felt that compulsion to witness to this man. He was probably in his mid-50s, somewhere around there. He's apparently a successful businessman, but he felt the need and the urge to tell this man about Jesus Christ. And because of the kindness of this stranger and because of all the different things that they were talking about, he just kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally, he realized they were about 30 minutes from where he was going to be dropped off. And he said, it's now or never. And he started to tell this man, Mr. Hanover, about how he could know for sure that he was going to heaven when he, would, when he died. And he said, I, I need to talk to you about something that's very, very important. He said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven when you die? And the man said, well, honestly, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I don't know for sure that I'd go to heaven if I were to die right now. And he said, well, I've, I've got my Bible in my bag back there. Would you mind if I take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you can go to heaven when you die? And he took him through those verses in the book of Romans. And it wasn't long before this Mr. Hanover pulled that sleek Cadillac over to the side of the road and broke down in tears at the steering wheel and prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. A few minutes later, they got to the place where Roger Sims was getting off, and he thanked the man. And as he was getting out, Mr. Hanover said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. A few years went by, Roger got married, had a two-year-old boy, business of his own. He was packing a suitcase for a business trip to Chicago, and he said, you know what, I bet you, let me look up Mr. Hanover and see if I can connect with him while I'm there in Chicago. And so he found his old business card that he had gotten from him, and uh, he, he uh, looked up Hanover Enterprises, and he, a receptionist told him that it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but she, he could see Mrs. Hanover if he wanted to when he was in town, and so he said, it'd be great, let's do it. And so he was, he was a little confused as to what was going on, but he was ushered into this lovely office, and he found himself sitting across the table from this woman in her 50s, and obviously you could tell that he was, she was around the same age. It had to have been this guy's wife. And she, she extended out her hand, and she said, you knew my husband? He said, yeah, and she kind of told him the story about how he was getting out of the military and how her husband had stopped on the side of the road to give him a ride. And she said, can you tell me when that was? And he said, well, I'll never forget the day. It was May 7th. It was the day that I got out of the military. And she said, anything special about that day? And he said, well, you know, he, he talked about some of the things that he talked about. He said, he's in his own mind, should I, should I mention the fact that I, I, I 
told him about Jesus Christ. And he said, well, that was really probably the most significant thing about that whole trip. And so he said, well, you know, I, I told him about how he could know for sure that he was going to heaven when he died. And I'll have to tell you, he, he broke down at the steering wheel, and his tears were pouring out of his eyes as he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, accepted Jesus Christ into his, his heart. He gave his life to Christ that day. And there, sitting across the table, Mrs. Hanover burst into tears of her own. She finally got a grip on herself, and she's sobbing, and, and through the sobs, she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed that God would save him. And, he's, and Roger said, well, where's your husband now? She said, he died on May 7th. Not long after you dropped him off out of the car, he got in a car accident, and he never made it home. She said, I had given up on serving God because I thought that God had not kept his promise. I didn't know that my husband accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior before he died, and I thought God let me down. She said, I haven't been in church in five years. I haven't been living for God in five years because I thought he was not faithful to keep his promise. Isn't that just like our God? God is faithful. And so often we underestimate his attribute of faithfulness. I've been to Yellowstone National Park and seen Old Faithful. The geyser that erupts every so often. It was late the day that we were there, and we ended up waiting for another extra 15 minutes. Old Faithful wasn't as faithful as it was supposed to be. But I tell you this, God's more faithful than Old Faithful is. What a faithful God we serve. He's faithful to save. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, come to him today. He's, he'll never say no. He'll never turn you away. You can never have anything in your past that's not worth saving. God's faithful to save. He's faithful to sustain. He's faithful to deliver. He's faithful to his promises, and he's faithful to forgive. Why don't you let a faithful God work through you? Why don't you let a faithful God change your life if that's what he wants to do? Because he does. If your life needs to be changed, let God do that work. He's faithful. He's faithful. As he says there in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. What a faithful God. What a faithful God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. I thank you for the fact that on the day that I came and knelt at the cross as a young boy, you were faithful to forgive me for my sins and to promise me a home in heaven someday. God, I'm so thankful for the fact that if I were to die right this very moment, my last breath on this earth would be my first breath in heaven. And I don't have to question that. I don't have to wonder that because you're faithful to do what you promised that you were going to do. If there is somebody in here that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, then God, I pray that you'd help them to come to that realization today, realization that they need you. But God, I pray that you'd help us because of your faithfulness to us to be faithful in serving you, to be faithful in living for you, to be faithful in confessing our sins before you. What a time like now to get right with you. I pray that you'd help us to do that if that's what's necessary. Convict us of our sin, God. Help us to see our sin in, in a heinous way. Help us to see our sin as the wickedness it really is. Help us to see your holiness and your faithfulness for what it really is. And I pray that you'd help us to allow that to change us into what you want us to be. 
Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed in an attitude of prayer there this morning at your seats. Think about the faithfulness of God and think about your faithfulness to Him. Have you come to know Him as your Savior? If not, you need to come and get that taken care of. You don't know how much time you're going to have left. He's faithful. He's giving you an opportunity right now. And for most of us, He's given us many opportunities. God's faithful in all the things that he's promised us. Are you faithful to confess your sins to him and get it right so that you can live clean before him? Are you faithful in doing the things that he's called you to do? Are you faithful in sharing the gospel? Are you faithful in living for him? Are you faithful in serving him? A lot of things that we fail him in that he's never failed us once. I want to give you an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to work. And if he does, if he has, then I want to give you an opportunity to come forward this morning. Tell it to God. Confess it to God if that's what needs to be done. And get it right. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come. If you need to be saved, you step out of your seat this morning. Let me take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. No more important decision you'll ever make than that.